Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Good afternoon and welcome to our show. This is Carmen um, hosting the Veterans Founder Show where we interview amazing veteran entrepreneurs. Uh, my co-host Josh Carter is not here today. He'll be back next week. I want to welcome our guest this week, Carl Murphy, who is the founder of Get Spiffy. Uh, welcome, Carl. How are you today? I'm doing great, Carmen. Thanks for having me on your show. Great. Well, we're looking forward, Carl, to hear your story. Uh, you're an Army veteran, which is great. I'm also an Army veteran. And uh, um, I want to start out uh, with where you're from. Where uh, were you born? Where were you raised? Sure. So I, uh, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York called Highland. Um, it's about 100 miles north of New York City. If you're, uh, you know, if you're like a Syracuse, Buffalo person, you, you call that downstate. But if you're a New York City person, you call it upstate. Um, it's, it's a pretty place called the, in, in the Hudson Valley. And um, yeah, I left. Yeah, so I left, and then I left there in um, I left there in 1985, and I went to uh, went to college in Washington D.C. and uh, I got an ROTC scholarship to uh, Georgetown University. And I graduated in 89 and started my Army, uh, my Army experience uh, as an infantry officer in 82nd, back in, back in the last century. Oh, wow. So were, did you have family that was in the military? What drew you to going into the ROTC program? Um, <clears throat> no, I didn't. Um, you know, I did not have a, a, a tremendous amount of folks in my family in the military. I, um, my freshman year in college, I worked for an investment uh, firm in Washington, D.C., and I was sort of, you know, the intern slave. Um, and, and the slave part wasn't so bad. It was, it was the observation of sort of the non-slaves and, and their job. You know, it's like watching the brokers just dial, you know, repeatedly, you know, 100, 200 phone calls a day trying to uh, schlep stock stock stuff to people um it was just i I had gone to george something and i wanted to get into finance and you know my first um my first uh you know internship was like this is like the last thing i want to do in four years and so i started going around campus looking for different organizations to get involved in um and i i stumbled into the rotc department i met the the professional military science, like, you know, they're, they're almost sort of like constantly recruiting, you know, and some, some guy walks in and it's like, Hey, I'm interested in the army. And they, like, they, you know, lasso you into their office and, and, uh, tell you about how great the army is. And, um, I, I was a college athlete. Georgetown had a small division three football program. And so they, they loved the idea of, you know, here, here's this guy who's an athlete who wants to, you know, come serve his country and do something different. And so, um, so, uh, sophomore year, I applied applied for a scholarship, and I got a scholarship. And then 
um, you know, ended up being an infantry officer. So when, uh, so what did you do in the military uh, as an infantry officer? Uh, were you deployed over? I'm sure you might have been deployed overseas. Yeah, so it was interesting. So I went through the standard um, infantry officer training, right? I went to Fort Benning for officer basic school. I went to Airborne School right after that. Um, I, I got to have my my beautiful trip through the uh, Fourth Ranger Training Brigade for sixty five days and successfully uh, graduated from Ranger School. And then um, I reported into my unit at Fort Bragg on July twenty eighth, nineteen ninety. And uh, by August 14th, I found myself um, in the Saudi Arabian desert, um, you know, drink, drinking water and preparing to battle Saddam's 3,000 tanks. Um, so it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty quick transition from, you know, college kid to lieutenant to uh, middle of the desert. Wow, deep dive. And so how did that feel like? Uh, you know... <clears throat> I'm sure this is a common experience for most uh, most soldiers, sailors, you know, airmen and women. You know, when you know you go through all the training and, and it's just sort of uh, you're just sort of going through it. It wasn't. I think in retrospect, it, it was a bigger deal than sort of when you're going through it. You know, you you get hey, we're going to Saudi Arabia. The you know the Iraqis invaded Kuwait and we're going to defend Saudi Arabia. So you, you know, you pack your rucksack. You you know, at Fort Bragg, you go through the there's this uh, bunker where they have literally tractor trailers of ammunition and you, you know, you load your backpack up with, with bullets and hand grenades and, and, um, and you get on a plane, you fly to Saudi Arabia and, and uh, it's, you know, I talk about it sort of matter of factly, but that's just sort of the way it is as a young officer, a young or a young soldier in the military, you know, you're, you're, you're trained up to go and, and everybody else is going. It just seems normal until, you know, until you find yourself, you know, elbow deep in a in a, a fighting position in the middle of the Saudi Arabian desert with the the 120 degree August heat beating down on you. Wow. But, uh, yeah, that's quite an experience. And so you experienced combat firsthand then. Oh, we did. You know, I think the um, you know as I as I talk to young soldiers today, you know, my I think the vast majority of the folks who went to Desert Storm had a much less intense combat experience. You know, I I you know somewhat sarcastically describe it as a as a dangerous first day of deer season. You know, for at least mm-hmm. my experience. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, for better or worse, the the Iraqis had had a, a month of. Um, pounding by U.S. aircraft, and you know, by the time we got there, they were they were pretty much ready to be done with uh, fighting the United States. Um, and so, I think it's a lot different than today's experience in Iraq or Syria or Afghanistan, where you know you're fighting this insurgent. You know, the, the vast majority of the threats today were not are are insurgent related, and their landmines and their IEDs and snipers and that sort of thing. You know, we were. You know, from a military standpoint, my experience was, you know, there is a large land army that we have to, you know, unseat from their, their terrain in, in, in uh, Iraq and, and parts of Kuwait and Saudi Arabia. And so, so, you know, we were, it was much more traditional, I would call it a traditional battle. Um, but again, by the time we got there, you know, the tanks were charred and the, the, the soldiers who were alive were, were, were for the most part, pretty willing to put their hands up and, and sort of be done with it. And then that I, was, um, uh, so the, how, how long of a period was that? Yeah, so I was there eight months. So I got it, we, we landed, uh, 
uh, around the 14th of August. And then I came home um, a couple days after Easter in 91. So like beginning of April, um, first week in April, something like that. In 19- so it was, it was the better part of eight months in Saudi Arabia. Um, and we moved around. You know, I was first on the East Coast um, near Jabail, which is a big port. And then we... We had a mission to protect the U.S. military uh, command in Riyadh, um, and then we got moved up to the border, and then we ended up um, on the Iraq invasion. I ended up as far as uh, Anasaria in southern Iraq, um, and so it was. Uh, it was interesting. It was, you know, certainly a. Um, you got around, we, yeah. I, we we <laughs> did get around. We sure did. Yeah. So how how long were you in the military altogether? I was in about five years, so I spent all of it, uh, so 19, you know, essentially I, I went to OBC in 1990, and uh, I got out uh, July 3rd, 1995. Mm-hmm. And then going back to ROTC and Georgetown University, so what did you major in in college? It was a government and uh, international relations major. Government um, so, and know. international relationships. How appropriate yeah. in Washington, D.C. they have that major, right. of course. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Uh, it's, per- it's a perfect major for uh, entrepreneurship in uh, on-demand car washing and uh, car care services. Great. And so what happened after you got out? Uh, what did you do then? <clears throat> yeah, so um, I had gotten married to a girl from Georgetown, and she was going to graduate school at the uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. So we moved from Fayetteville to Chapel Hill and uh, she was completed a graduate degree and I began my career in sales. So I started as a, as a salesperson. Um, I started working for a company called Abbott Labs and then shortly thereafter transitioned over sort of to the technology side. And, and um, you know, so I was selling sort of technology type products uh, for about, I don't know, about eight or nine years. Uh, what type of products? Uh, I sold uh, engineering software. I think the largest company that I worked for was a company called Parametric Technology, and we sold computer-aided design and uh, data management software for engineering companies, so companies that made product. Um, Our clients were places like Hatteras Yachts and Volvo Truck, uh, Motorola, those sorts of places. Like They had a physical product. Our technology helped them really improve their business. Um, I sold pharma right out of the uh, right out of the army. I sold pharmaceuticals and um, uh, medical products for Abbott Labs, primarily in the hospitals. Um, and then after PTC, I, I moved into the startup world in Raleigh, and um, I had a I worked for six different startups before starting my own company. Um, a variety of technology related products, uh, some of them internet measurement tools. Uh, one of them was a, a 3D engineering tool that was sort of related to parametric technologies product. Um, but I was really, I was really focused on sort of the, you know, companies with less than say $10 million in revenue and sort of in, in many cases, you know, sort of pre-revenue uh, sort of stuff. Great tra- and great training grounds working for startups then. Was that intentional? It was. I think after I had, I'd spent about five years on large companies and, and really realized my passion was in sort of this, you know, I, I felt like my passion was in smaller companies and, 
and uh, building and having sort of a wider, you know, as a sales rep, you have a very narrow focus. You have a, a product or a couple of products and a, and a, and a territory and, and your job is to like move that product. And, and no one really cares or is interested in your um, ideas around the rest of the company. They don't want you to be a team leader. They don't want you to do anything other than meet or exceed quota, um, which I was pretty good at. I just, I felt like I didn't want to do that for 20 years. Um, and I, I really enjoyed the business building side of, of, um, uh, of a business. And so, you know, I, I went to a small software company and, and really enjoyed it. Um, had a lot of access, you know, I mean, my, 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 my cube was literally like a cube away from the CEO and you know, the CEO comes over and asks you about strategy and hey, what do you think about this product? What do you think about this channel? And so I, I found that very interesting and very, uh, energizing. And so I, I continued to, to sort of seek that stuff out. Well, that's great. You know, I'm going to take a moment just to pause here and do an ad and, uh, we'll, come back and continue listening to your story, Carl. Uh, sure. Today, we're featuring CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Uh, welcome back, everyone. We've been talking to Carl Murphy, who's the founder of GetSpiffy.com. And so, Carl, we were we left off with with you know um, you just wanted to make a change because you were doing sales and um, it was rather a limited and focused job, and you found that it appears that your passion was more entrepreneurial. So working for all of those uh, startup companies, so um, would that uh, help develop your passion to just uh, go off on your own? Uh, tell us how that happened, Carl, how you started Get Spiffy. Sure. So um, I had worked for a bunch of small companies and had uh, some success there and then had sort of seen them succeed or expire either due to lack of sales or lack of demand or lack of capital and um along the way decided to go out and and, and uh you know buy my own business um I, in raleigh you know so this is circa 2001 um if you remember there was a um there was a significant technology crash right the dot com, the, the dot com right yeah, and so and so the the result was if you had a technology startup that didn't have enough capital or was not currently self sufficient with revenue, um, you know those companies went away pretty quickly. Um, and so there was a lot of uh, you know corporate carnage. You know, good companies, um, you know, bad companies went away quickly, and, and the good companies uh, there's a fair amount of uh, casualties around good entrepreneurs and good companies. And so I was faced with a dilemma: Do I go to Silicon Valley where there's more opportunity, or do I go do something on my own locally? And 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 sort of talking to my friends in my network, I, I chose to go and, and find sort of a old school business, and I I went out on this. Um, you know, sort of like 18 month journey of looking to buy a business. Uh, one, raise some capital. I had a little bit of money saved from being a successful sales rep, but then, you know, could I find some other capital? And then where are there places where I could really 
um, you know, apply my skill set uh, and, you know, really make a difference in sort of what, what I would consider like an old school business. And I looked at a trucking company. I mean, I probably looked at 25 companies, but sort of highlights for a trucking company. I looked at a company that manufactured uh, Mexican food. Um, I looked at a company that did manufacturing of prefab components for apartment buildings. And it's sort of the etymology of things is sort of weird. Most startup, uh, most entrepreneurs sort of have these stories where you know, I, I ended up buying a car wash. And uh, along, along the way, I picked up a partner, and he's my co-founder and Smithy, Scott Wingo. And uh, the two of us ended up buying a car wash uh, here in North Carolina. And we had a strategy to go out and build, um, you know, fixed site car washes, right? So imagine an acre of land, uh, 5,000 square foot building. You drive up, give me your keys and 20 bucks, and 15 or 20 minutes later, we give you your car back. Um, and that was pretty successful for a while. We built another location, and then we ran into, um, you know, the global financial crisis. So our financing strategy was, you know, sort of 10 or 15% down, debt finance the rest of the business. Um, and, you know, and in 2008, that strategy really went away. It became very difficult to raise capital as a small business um, from sort of the traditional banks, right? The Bank of America's and the Wells Fargo's. They were not um, lending they, back then. Uh, they, small they, business, they were not. Small business were, was in trouble, I know, because... Yeah, and so... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so so we hunkered down and, and we just, you know, we continued to grow our business out of those two locations. Um, and after about a year, year and a half of that, I was... I was having a cup of coffee with my partner just sort of reviewing last quarter's results. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm just tired of playing defense. We need to go on the offense and look at some other ways to go our business. Um, you know, I'm tired of waiting for the banks. I'm tired of dealing with like, hearing about the recession. That's like, uh, it's just, I'm tired of the victim culture. Like let's, let's go do something else. And so, you know, he and I talked about a number of different strategies. You know, we looked at buying successful car washes. We looked at buying depressed or, or sort of, um, you know, car washes sort of on the ropes. And then one of the things we did was mobile car washing, you know, and I, I, uh, had, you know, we traditionally had never, there, uh, we had never looked at doing that, but we said, well, look, you know, it's, it's an opportunity. Let's go, let's go take a look at it. And, um, I literally went out and bought a, you know, a pickup truck for $5,000 and went to Lowe's and, for another thousand dollars in equipment, you know, sort of like a seven thousand dollar investment, we had a, a mobile detailing business, and we were really just um, one of our objectives was to move demand off our property, right? So we were very busy Friday and Saturday. You're sort of like a hundred and fifty percent of capacity at most car washes if it's a, if it's a busy Saturday and it's sunny, um, and then sort of on Wednesday it's like a ghost town, right? You wish you could like contract your building to one fifth its size. Because consumers want to watch their car on Friday and Saturday, and yeah. so um, yeah, so we were we, we were just trying to take that demand and do it at someone's house, right? And um, what we found was customers loved the convenience of the mobile business, but they really wanted it done at work. They wanted they wanted me to come to them on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday while they're at their office in meetings, sort of working all day when they're not going to use their car. Um, so that was one learning from that. And then this also intersected with sort of the rise of um, the iPhone and sort of an app-based economy and, and sort of the rise of um, uh, Uber and sort of the on-demand economy. And so there's, there's all these changes going on sort of post-2008 global financial crisis, both new technology, 
new business models, and then a bunch of consumer changes that occurred. Um, you know, after the recession, uh, consumers really hard pivoted one of two directions, and it's it's somewhat um, uh, unrelated to income and age, but they chose I'm going to be a value customer, right? And I'm going to go to Walmart, and I'm going to you know buy my toilet paper at Walmart, and I'm going to buy my groceries at this store, and I'm going to buy my clothes at TJ Maxx because I want the discount, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or they pivoted hard to convenience, where I'm going to pay someone to do things for me because I'm so busy that I have more money than time. Or just from a from a demographic standpoint, I would rather spend my money on experiences and not like going to the car wash or not waiting in line for these sorts of things. And so, so these are sort of the Amazon Prime sort of customers, right? They they pay for subscription, they pay for delivery, they pay for Grubhub to bring them food. Um, you know, as a as a, a dad, I tell the story where you know I signed somebody knocking on my door one night. I, I have an eighteen year old daughter, and and this there's this guy at my door, and he has a small bag of cookies, literally three cookies. And my daughter has order, has ordered these cookies to be delivered to the house. And so the, the cookies, the cookies were the cookies were six dollars, right? They're two dollars a piece. They're these big chocolate chips, and they're hot, right? And but she had paid five dollars to have them delivered, right? Oh, how funny! You know, we yeah, and, and, we don't have well, that over here. <laughs> well, we're in a college town, so we have sort of you know we're sort of a a, 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 a testing ground for sort of these these sort of services. But, um, you know, that's really indicative of and – and, and so what we found in our experiment with our car wash was that consumers wanted to buy their services on the phone. They wanted us to come to them. They wanted us to come to them at work, and they were willing to pay a little bit more for it. And there's this whole demographic and this whole change in our population where people are paying for services. Um, you know, and, and there's – you know, it seems very normal today to have, you know, a 30-pound bag of dog food and – you know, paper towels and toilet paper delivered to your house via Amazon. You know, that yes. wasn't the case, say, five, six years ago, right? So 2012, 11, 12, 13, those things didn't exist. And that level of service efficiency didn't exist. And so we we realized we were sitting on top of some demand, and, and we just kept growing. And it was one of those things where people were calling us, telling us, hey, I heard about you coming out to the office. Can you come to my office? Can you come to my house? And, and so, uh, you know, my partner and I realized that, we really were sitting on top of a, of a great opportunity that was both a mix of sort of technology. Um, he's from the technology industry, so his background is as a product guy in, in the software world. And you know, I had sold software, and so we're like, look, there's just a lot, a lot of the problems we were having operationally were software solvable, right? We could build software to solve them. Um, and there's just a tremendous amount of demand from the consumer side for, um, you know, on-demand car washing and detailing, essentially. And so, so we went out and built this brand called Spiffy. Um, we got a great mascot, our penguin. And uh, in 2014, we launched Spiffy as a brand. And we've been growing at, in here in Raleigh. Uh, and since then, we've added five cities. So we operate in Charlotte, Raleigh, Atlanta, Dallas, and Los Angeles. Wow. Um, we, have some opera- we have some operations, some fleet operations in New York these days. And, um, you know, our, 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 our revenue is somewhere between, you know, say five and eight million dollars a year recurring. That's uh, amazing. Have, In such a short time. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, it's the, the entrepreneurial challenge is to consume it efficiently. You know, we have a tremendous amount of demand out there for our product. It's, 
it's um, it's nice to not worry about having to sell it. Um, you know, we, we, I mean, we have a sales team and, and it works, but the, certainly the the trends in consumer behavior and and in our customer base are they want to buy more of it. And so uh, the, the things we work on a lot are just trying to do it more efficiently and to do it better and to do it less expensively. And so it's it's yeah. um, it's been it's been, a, been an exciting couple of years. Yes, that's amazing. Congratulations to you. So uh, on that's interesting that um, you mentioned that you found out your customers wanted you to go to their work location. Now, how does that work out in terms of logistics? Because if you're parking in a, you know, at your company, um, do they give you the keys and you you take the car somewhere else or? Yeah, so from a relationship standpoint and a, and a sales and business development standpoint, we have to go build relationships with the property management group and the company, right? So let's say, you know, large Fortune 500 company, they're they're going to be in an office building, but then they're also going to have a property manager who who manages that building and the parking and the vendors and the access. And so, so we have a whole sales team that goes out and develops those relationships. Um, we built uh, a, a system to, to collect and re- return keys to customers securely. So we don't have to ever see the consumer. The consumer can show up at work, put their keys in our key exchange system, and uh, our technicians show up. They get the keys. They service the car. They return the car. And then our technology notifies the customer that the service has been complete, where the car is, where the keys are, what the codes are to get all that stuff back to them. And so it's a... It's a very hands-off process for the consumer, and it's very disconnected from our technicians. So it gives them a lot of um, a lot of convenience and a lot of efficiency that you might not get with a traditional, um, either certainly a traditional car wash and, and also sort of a traditional old-school sort of mobile detailer. Um, you know, again, all of our payment is digital. All the communication is digital through our app, and then we have this proprietary key exchange system that we install um, with the permission of the property management group. Um, to, to operate the business, you know, to operate on their property. That's amazing. The nicest, well, and, the, and one of the reasons why we grow is that our technicians are never in the building, right? So we we service large banks, we service software companies, companies that are very concerned about um, security. Our, our our folks never need to go into the building, right? We just need to come on property. We're always outside, and so we're we're not disrupting. You know, at a minimum, you would sort of like come in and disrupt someone during their work day, pull somebody out of a meeting to give them their keys and collect their money. Um, none of that happens with us. And then you know, our, our mm-hmm. folks don't need to go into the building for any reason whatsoever. That's great. You've thought of everything. So, you know, between you and your partner, it seems like, you know, you combine your skill sets and it just worked out a wonderful model. I mean, I can't wait till you're over here in the Pacific Northwest because I would be one of those convenience customers. Yeah, we'll we'll put you on we'll put you on the list. Okay, so uh, so what kind of challenges uh, you know in terms of business have you encountered? Um, because it almost seems like uh, you've had uh, just great growth in in four years, and you've expanded to other cities quickly, and uh, that doesn't happen too often with small business. I'm a business owner myself. And I am in technology, but, you know, we've interviewed a lot of people. 
And of course, uh, you guys, uh, it just seems you have it all together. And uh, but I'm sure there's, you know, always some stumbling blocks and challenges. And so can you speak to any of that? You know, I think early on when we realized the consumer wanted us to serve them at work, we had to develop uh, an offering for the property manager that they found acceptable. Um, you know, in the past, they have traditionally been negatively biased toward letting um, car watching, detailing, and automotive services on property for a couple of reasons. Um, one is insurance, right? If something happens, they don't want to be responsible for it. It's their property. They let you on. They sort of own that and have some some connection with that. So the insurance was was it was was an initial challenge. Um, we we had uh, with car washing. There's this issue uh, about runoff, right? And so municipalities don't want commercial properties to have industrial water flow off their property into the storm drains and into the rivers, right? And so car washes fall into that category. And so we had to build a, a portable reclamation system where we could we could wash cars on what's essentially like a big bath, a portable bathtub and suck that water back up in our trucks and bring it back to our warehouse and process it that way. Um, and so, so we had to get insurance. We had to get um, this reclaim system that made um, sort of EP, that was EPA compliant and and you know palatable for the property management group. And then we needed a nice brand, right? Again, it's you know your your truck comes on property, and you can imagine there's this five story beautiful glass office building. You know, somebody spent ten, twenty, thirty million dollars to build. You're you're they're paying a lot of money for it. You know, the last thing they want is like some beat up van you know, in the lot servicing their customers, right? And so so the Spiffy brand is, is very important to the property managers because it's a, it's a brand that they find acceptable and congruent with, with their brand. And it's something like, hey, you know, we can feel, feel good about offering this service to our tenants, you know, because they're EPA compliant, because they have, they're fully insured. And, you know, I mean, we're servicing like six, 7,000 cars a month, you know, invariably like something's going to happen. You're going to, you know, you're going to open a door or you're going to dent some window or you're going to, some knobs going to fall off a radio. And so, you, you know, you, the, the property managers and the, um, the large employers, they want to know that we have enough capital and, and we're properly insured. So you know, in the event that something happens, we can, we can take care of it. So, so it's, it's really, it's the three of those, it's, it's, the, it's the insurance and EPA compliance and it's the branding that are super important. We also, um, you know, do background checks on all of our technicians. And so they're, they're, you know, they're properly licensed and they're, you know, sort of good upstanding citizens. We hire, we like to hire some veterans, you know, because they're always hardworking and generally you know, stay out of trouble and sort of thing. And so, so all that comes together and, and it's, uh, it was not obvious when we started, right? So we, we sort of proto- started prototyping this business back in 2012 and 13. And, and we, you know, you kind of run into an obstacle property manager says no well why do you say no you know oh well, you don't have insurance so you go get insurance so you come back and property manager says no again why do you have why, why no well you're not epa compliant and so you know you continue running the obstacles and you know i think this is you know for other veterans this is a place where veterans tend to excel um entrepreneurs in general excel at this but it's a i think it's a place where veterans relative to the re- regular population you know you know, there's a wall. It's like go over it, around it, or knock the damn thing down. Mm. Um, and just culturally, it's like if we're committed to making this thing work, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get through it one way or another. And so, 
Um, so early on, those were those were a lot of things. I mean, it probably took us a, a good solid year to sort of get that together, get that that brand offering of convenient, trusted, professional, and green operations together, and 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 really stitch it together in a great story um, for our clients. That that is, you know, it is a great story because it seems oh, that you encountered so these challenges were your big challenges. I mean, complying with EPA and just the fact that getting property um, management to let you do this and then saying no and then you going back and, and going to them again and asking why, what would it take to have us on board? I mean, that was a, a, a really, uh, I feel so, it was an opportunity to come up with innovation and technology. So, you know, even the what your proprietary um it seems like technology were for collecting the keys. Uh, I mean, you saw a problem and then you found a solution. So uh, it's I, I love these stories because you don't quit. Um, you don't let them, even if they say no, you're going to go back and, and go back to them again and again. And then you, you build the right model. Uh, so that they can accept you, and not only that, you you've branded yourself to be so unique. So it, it's phenomenal. It's just really uh, great to hear that. I'm going to take another moment for a quick break, and we'll get back to you, Carl. Okay. So today's episode of Veteran Startup is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize offers your company a dedicated account management to developing your insight into the world of PR and communication strategy while providing all the support you need. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking to Carl Murphy, the founder of GetSpiffy.com. Carl, um, I'm, I just love your story and uh, what you've accomplished. And, um, and it looks like you guys are so creative. There's pretty much more for you in the future. So what do you see for yourselves in the future? Uh, so, we, you know, I think the near term is a lot of geographic expansion, right? So we're looking to, um, you know, move to more cities and, and expose more consumers to the Spiffy brand and Spiffy products and services. Um, you know, we've launched a, uh, a device product called Spiffy Blue, which is a sensor for the car that um, reads the, the codes from your check engine light. So if your check engine light comes on, it does a bunch of other stuff, but um, you know, that's the immediate value to you. And it can tell you what the, uh, what's going wrong with your car. And we're transitioning our, tech, our app, our consumer-facing app, from a transactional-based app where you just go there to buy car washing and detailing from us to, to a service management app where you can manage the services around your automobile. Um, and then I think down the road we can, uh, you know, we'll potentially add new services, either ones that we deliver ourselves, um, or potentially, you know, a marketplace where, um, other, we can connect our consumers with other vendors who can solve their problem. For example, you know, we're out to clean your car and we notice there's a chip in your windshield. 
you know, we could connect you with several vendors who might be interested in helping you solve that problem. Um, you know, tires, that sort of thing. I mean, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of services around that, that that may be interesting. I love it. It sounds wonderful. And um, uh, what um, what do you think, as an entrepreneur, you've learned uh, that you would share with other entrepreneurs that might be listening or potential entrepreneurs that want to do some type of business? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, the culture of our company, and I think this is one of the reasons why my, my partner and I get along so well, and, and we've, we've been together for like more than a decade um, working together, is you start with the customer, right? I, I think it's oftentimes wrongly people get enamored with an idea or a technology, um, and there's really no one, there's not a problem associated with it or a consumer that has a problem that you want to solve. And so if you start with a customer and look at their problems and then build products and services to solve those problems, then it, it, you tend to have less failure and more success. Um, you know, we've had our fair set of challenges and setbacks and, you know, we've always started with the customer. We always put the customer first and we, we work towards solving those problems for them. Um, but that's, I, as I talk to other entrepreneurs, I, I think that's one of the biggest um, misses for a lot of people is, you know, they're like, I, I want to go build, you know, this widget. Well, who's going to buy the widget and what are they going to do with it? Um, you know, and until you have a customer and someone who's willing to pay for it, you know, it's, 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 it's more of a hobby and an art project than it is, you know, a business. Yes. Yep. I've, I've seen that as well. Yeah. So, um so in terms of advice uh, for, um, you know, uh, potential entrepreneurs, you would say then that you always want to be in tune to your customers' problems and then work out creative solutions. Would that be something that you, you would speak to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, would, I would start with the customer. You know, I, I think entrepreneurs often wait too long to sell something. Um, you know, go work on a prototype and, and, and go try to sell it, even if it's just a PowerPoint presentation of sort of a concept. You know, go take it to someone who you think is a customer and, and see if they'll buy it from you. You know, even in a contingent basis, I think asking for the order um, helps get some clarity around, you know, are we in the right place? Um, or, or not, and, and, and you know, and a lot of times you're not. Like, uh, but that's okay. It's data, right? I'm sure you have a lot of services, and I did look at your website, and it was like a menu. It was just great. In fact, you could tell our audience where to locate you, Carl. Yes, yeah, sure. So you can find our company at getspiffy.com, and uh, if you guys want to reach out to me, my uh, first name is spelled Carl, K-A-R-L, and my email is carl at getspiffy.com. Uh, yes, and, and so, so yeah, um, tell us about um, some of the services there. I did see that menu, um, and so um, some of those services I would think would take a full day then, right, if you were doing detailing a car? Yeah, so we have services that range in price from $20 to over 300 We have a bunch of upgrades 
Um, you know, and it, and it's, and it runs the spectrum from, uh, exterior car wash to sort of inside and out car wash to car wash and wax to detailing. And, and really the difference, you know, with detailing is, you know, more time, uh, specialized equipment and chemicals, um, and, and, um, you know, a little bit more skill set, uh, on the part of the technician. Um, you know, we can shampoo carpets, we can clean leather, we can, you know, remove scratches. And so, um, I'd say 60 or 70% of our business is sort of car washing. Uh, and then maybe 20 or 30% of it is detailing. Um, we also offer oil change. Um, so we, we offer a couple of different varieties of, um, oil change. So we can come out to your home or your work and, and, uh, change the oil. Um, on the commercial side, we offer some additional mechanical services. We do tire rotation and some inspection, um, uh, things like that also. Oh, and then wow. again, as I, as I mentioned earlier, we have this new product called Spiffy Blue, which is a, a plug-in sensor to your car that helps you understand, um, if you have any sort of error, uh, engine codes from your check engine light. So it's a, it, it, so are you using like electronic devices then to check out someone's car and and see like for instance if the engine is running okay is that yeah so it's um it's a sensor that you plug in so it it looks like um you know it's a little cube that goes that plugs into the engine through there's a there's a port um that most cars have and it's called the ODB2 port. It's a little um, car wash, or I'm sorry, uh, car maintenance uh, lingo or jargon. Um, but we sell a, a sensor that goes into the to the port, and then it reads the engine codes, and then it communicates those codes via uh, low energy Bluetooth to our to our consumer app. And so in in the app, it'll tell you what's going on. And then again, we've built some functionality in our consumer app to allow the, the customer to record maintenance services and that sort of thing. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh. I love it. So you you and your partner had to really get familiar with cars and car models and even the technical aspects of, you know, how they operate and all that. Yes, and, we, and we, we've hired a couple of, uh, a couple of good, good car experts along the way also. Ah, subject matter experts. Great. Yeah, you guys have thought of everything. Um, that's uh, This is such a great story, Carl. And what's the name of your partner? His name is Scott Wingo. Is he also a veteran? Uh, Scott is not a veteran. He's uh, a serial entrepreneur. Ah, great. Well, so Spiffy, sounds... is no, Spiffy is number four for him. Oh, wow. Well, it sounds like you have a great team, and um, and then you mentioned you hired veterans. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask you, since I, I like to ask all the veterans, um, mostly because we know there's a lot listening, but if you had to do it all over again, would, have, would you have gone to the military? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And then it was, it was. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, I would say it's. I think it's. You know, as a as a young college graduate or as a a young high school graduate, I think it's some of the best. Uh, you know, life experience, training, accountability uh, you can you can get. 
Mm. Yeah, we've heard that a lot. And what would you say was your biggest takeaway? You were in for five years, and were you mostly deployed the entire time you were in? No, I was deployed. Uh, aside from training exercises, I was just deployed for the eight months. Oh, for the eight storm. months, yeah. And then, you know, you know, in a tree unit, you spend a lot of time in and out, but, I mean, it was mostly in the United States. Uh, biggest takeaway... Um, I don't know. I think it's I think it's hard to encapsulate, you know, f- five years of uh, military experience into you know one or two things. I right. think, um, y- you know, for better or worse, as a manager, I find myself communicating very directly to the team. You know, sometimes that that's not a common um, a common communication strategy for a lot of folks in corporate America, and so. Um, I find it very effective. My team finds it pretty clear. They always sort of know where they stand with me. Um, and so that's, that's something that's always been, been a positive for me. I think there's this sort of, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, you know, and I don't think it necessarily has to come from the military, but there's this, you know, dogged persistence to the goal. You know, we're going to, we're going to complete the road march. We're going to seize the hill. We're going to, you know, make the product work regardless of whatever it takes. And so, you know, I think that's, that's a quality that most entrepreneurs have. Um, it tends to overlap with a lot of soldiers. And so it's, I think it's a good, it's a good crossover. Um, I don't think you have to go into the military for that. Um, I, I, a, a lot of non-military entrepreneurs are, are pretty good at that. Right. And you mentioned it earlier. Um, I think about just, you know, when you have a mission, you know, you're just going to get that mission done and you're going to find a way. So, well, it's been delightful talking to you, Carl, and um, we wish you the best. And and again, uh, I just want to recap with our audience. You can check out Carl at www.getspiffy.com. Thank you for being on our show today and best to you, Carl. And again, uh, yes, again, you've been listening to Startup Radio Network, the network that brings inspiration and education to startups and entrepreneurs around the globe. Tune in again next week and every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Listen, learn and get inspired. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.